Bibles to the book of Colossians and uh, see if you know who I'm talking about. There's a aging rocker with big lips. Who would I be speaking of? Who? Mick Jagger, yeah. He cashed in on these words. I can't get... Man, isn't that amazing? I can't get no satisfaction. I try and I try and I try. I won't sing it. But I can't get no what? No satisfaction. He cashed in on that. And there's uh, generations now who would sing this anthem. You know what? And, and I think that's bad English. I, I'm, I'm bad in English. Probably better in Greek than I am in English. That's sad. But uh, that's bad English, I think. But fewer, truer words have ever been spoken. I try and I try, but I can't get any satisfaction. I guess that's better English. Well, you hold in your Bible particularly in the book of Colossians, which I hope you're open to, you hold the very opposite of the words of those songs. You, you hold in the book of Colossians a book where satisfaction is guaranteed. This book guarantees you satisfaction in life when Christ is all and when He is in all areas of your life. In fact, the book of Colossians is like a, it's like a GPS. Okay, GPS, what's that stand for? Global Positioning System. You look at satellites and it positions where you are. Well, this is God's positioning system. Colossians is a GPS for finding your fulfillment in Christ as Lord of all. In fact, I tried to, I, I gave you that little diagram over there to the right, this circle. If you wanted to kind of think, because we're going to dive in to the end of Colossians. I don't know what's gotten into me here in the last few years, diving into middle of books, the ends of books, but that's all right. When you look at Colossians, it only has two chap, uh, four chapters. The first two chapters are all about the supremacy of Christ. Christ is sovereign over everything. Christ is supreme. And then chapters 3 through 4 are all about the sufficiency of Christ. Because He is over everything, He's sufficient in everything. Can I? Is that simple? Nod your head like you're getting that. 1 and 2, supremacy of Christ. 3 and 4, sufficiency of Christ. Now, when you add chapters 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, you get satisfaction in Christ. All right, there's the book of Colossians. I just gave it to you. When you submit and surrender your life to the supremacy of Christ and begin to experience that He is sufficient in all areas of your life, you will find fulfillment in life in spite of your circumstances. Now, the last half of this book then, what happens is, you take in that circle, that's the rest of the book, chapters 3 and 4, Christ in the center of your personal life. That's chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Don't Go back and read. Don't worry, I'm not teaching that. I just want you to get the idea that when Christ is in the center of your life, everything works out from that. See, we want everything to work from the outside in. We want to control my circumstances, change my circumstances, and somehow that's going to change me. When in fact, Christ wants to change you and I from the inside out, and when He does that, then it moves out into all other areas of our life. If you look right above the personal life, Paul immediately moves into church life. That's verses 5 through 17 of chapter 3. Then he moves into family life. Interesting. Church life before family life. Why? Because the church is a family of families. And until you get it right with Christ and His body, your family life's not going to get go right. 
we do the opposite. Haven't seen you at church a lot. Oh, yeah, I got, I got, I got to pull back. Why? Because I've got all these family issues. Well, you just unplugged from your resource. You just unplugged from the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ so that you can, I try and I try. I'm trying harder over here, but I'm not getting no satisfaction. That's because you're not structuring and ordering your life around the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. And so you go from family life to work life. And from work life to your community life, that is your neighbors and witnessing. And then out of all that is ministry. So ministry is all of life. So this whole series, we're going to talk about ministering. We're talking about fulfilling your ministry. And we're going to focus in on the local church. But that is just one piece of that pie. We're talking about ministry everywhere. All of ministry. And see, all those lines are dotted, not because I thought it looked cool. But these are not hard barriers. In other words, your work life flows into your family life, does it not? Your church life should be flowing into your work life. Your, Your neighborhood life should be penetrated by your church life. Do you see what I'm saying here? So the Lordship of Christ, He is over all and He is in all. Now, the book of Colossians is a part of four, uh, three other books. Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, and Philippians. They're called ministry epistles and, and prison epistles because Paul wrote them when he was in prison. Why was he in prison? Because he was fulfilling the lordship of Christ, and that can land in bad places. You know, we think serving Christ will always land me in the good place. And if I'm in a bad place, then somehow I must not be serving Christ, when in fact, serving Christ can land you in a bad place, a hard place, and a difficult place. Here's the principle we're going to learn throughout these coming weeks. Ministry is not easy. Ministry is not easy. All right. Now, when you look at these these books, Colossians is all about knowing Christ through a growing relationship. The same, this other letter we're going to be talking about, Philemon, it's about growing in Christ with real fellowship. Ephesians, showing Christ through outstanding membership. And then Philippians, going with Christ. All I want you to get out of this is this. Colossians is about a growing relationship with Christ, and that's the foundation and the fountainhead of a fulfilling ministry. Ministry is the overflow of your personal relationship with Christ. If you are stagnant and dead in ministry, the first place to look is your own relationship with Christ. Not at changing circumstances. Letting Him change you. So, let's look at Colossians chapter 4. What's interesting about Colossians 4, we're going to look at verses 7 through 18. That's what, that's what we're going to... I just want to read that and introduce you to these people. Because here's this book that he's been talking about satisfaction in Christ. And you know how he ends the book? He ends it by saying this. If you really want to get a satisfied life, one of the essentials is fulfilling your ministry that God has given you. Maybe you're not satisfied with your life right now. I would say one of the areas you need to look at is, how's my relationship with Christ and how am I serving other people? So let's take a look at it. Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Now, I make up the, how I pronounce these names. And so they're not always accurate, but they work for me, okay? And so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a try. Tychius, I know that's not right, but that's what I always called him. I've always called him that in my head, and so he's Tychius. Tychius will tell you 
all about my activities. He is a blood bro- beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. He was from Colossae. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Paul's writing from prison in Rome. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. Jesus was a common name in those days. And so in light of Jesus, uh, God coming to earth and taking the name of Jesus, those who were called Jesus, who had the name Jesus would then switch to another name out of deference, deference to him. And because there were so many uh, people with that name. Jesus, who is called Justice. There are, these are the only men of the circumcision um, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, another man from Colossae, a servant of Christ Jesus, greet you, always struggling on your behalf in prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae, three cities in the Lycus Valley that were all within like 15 miles of each other. Sister cities who then had sister churches of which Epaphras was a minister to all three. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea. So again, here's this other church. And to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So there's all these letters, all this interaction, all this teamwork between these churches and these people. And say to Archippus, and here's our verse for today. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is an awesome passage filled with people. I love the endings of Paul's letters. You know why? Because they remind us that all these really lofty principles and powerful truths that you hear in these epistles are all enfleshed and lived out in real people just like you and I. It takes it and puts it into real life. Now, I've given, there's, there's a handout there. You can grab this. I take this, stick this in your Bible so you can kind of, it shows you a map, shows you where these cities are, kind of gives you a scorecard to know the players that are involved so you can grab that and get an overview But I want you to look in your notes. There's 12 people who set out to find their satisfaction in Christ that were listed. 12 names that I just read to you. Now, one failed along the way, as far as we know, never recovered. Another failed, a guy by the name of John Mark, but was restored. In those names that we just read, some are rich enough to own a house and have household servants. Some are poor enough they had to hire themselves out as those household servants. Some are well-trained professionals like Dr. Luke. Others are business people like probably Epaphras who did a lot of traveling and a lot of business. One's an apostle, Paul. 
Others are pastors probably, home group leaders. And some are just simple servants. And one dude, all we know about him is his name. But even he has something to teach us in the weeks ahead. As I read through that passage, look at all the different descriptions. And let me I want you to ask yourself, do any of these fit me? Do any of these fit me? Beloved brothers, faithful ministers, fellow bondservants, fellow prisoners, fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and servants of Jesus Christ. Six powerful descriptions. What's the significance of these 12 people? They made their mark for eternity by fulfilling their ministries the Lord had given each one. That's why we're starting at the end. Because I think verse 17 and the admonition... To Archibus, fulfill your ministry is what this whole passage is about. It's what this whole series is going to be about. They made their mark for eternity by fulfilling their ministry. And here's what we're going to do in the weeks ahead. We're going to follow in their footsteps. And in following in their footsteps, we're going to land where Archibus landed. We're going to fulfill our ministry. We're going to find greater satisfaction in Christ. And we're going to see more people come into the kingdom of God because we're working hard and working together to do what God has called us to do in Christ. Oh, thank you, John. Thank you, thank you. Are you excited about that? Are you, yeah, yeah but, at least, but it only took you a second. I mean, we're talking... All right, let's look at it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a man who made his mark by fulfilling his ministry. We're going to look at the man, and then we're going to look at his ministry. So let's look at the man. The man who made his mark. His name is Archippus, and his name means, how would you like this for a name? The master of horses. The ruler of horses. And that doesn't relate to... Today, it would be like the ruler of tanks. It's a military name. It's a name that's associated with being a soldier, a name of strength, and, uh, you know, the ruler of the tank division. Well, that's what horses were. They were the army, army uh, instrument of those days. He's only mentioned two times in Scripture, right here in Colossians, and the second time is in Philemon. Let's look at it. He's mentioned at the end of Colossians, the last of these 11 people, see to it that you fulfill your ministry you've received in the Lord. Then he's mentioned at the beginning of Philemon. So look at Philemon. Turn your Bibles. It's going to be after Titus. Just keep turning there. First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and then you go to Philemon. Let's look at the beginning of Philemon. Let's take a look at who this guy is. Verses one and two of Philemon. Remember, he's writing this same time he's writing Colossians. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, there in Rome, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and there he is again, Archippus, our fellow soldier. Probably doing a play on word on this military name of his. Hey, this guy just doesn't isn't a, a soldier by name. He's a soldier in reality. Why? Because ministry is a fight. Ministry is a spiritual battle. And the church in your house, grace to you and peace. Okay, what's going on here? Well, Colossians is a, a letter to a church. Philemon is a letter to an individual in that church by the name of Philemon, who's probably married to the woman that's mentioned there, Aphia, and probably, possibly, Archippus is his son, and they have a church in their house. Okay, well, 
from this scrap of information, here's what we can probably figure out, and you can fill this out in your notes. We can say that Archippus is possibly the son of Philemon and Aphia. We don't know. Maybe Aphia and Archippus are married, and Philemon's there. We, we don't really know. But it would seem that Philemon and Aphia are married, and Archippus probably a son. What we know is they're, pro- they're a family, there's family relationships, and they have a church in their house, which means they're rather well off. Secondly, he's probably the pastor of the Colossian church, or one of several, there's several house churches. They would say the church at Colossae, and the church in this whole city would then have several house churches, and we don't know how, you know, how they were connected, how large they were. Typical house church would probably be 30 to 50 people. They had a house church. So Archippus is probably a pastor. The reason we say that is because he's addressed here at last in this letter to Colossians, and he says, fulfill your ministry. Yeah, 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 you're freaking out about the houses. Are you freaking out about the houses? These are like big, you know, they have a courtyard in the middle, okay? So th- these aren't mansions over the hilltop. These are courtyards. They're outside, and, and you can gather a humongous group of people. And sometimes we know from archaeology they would knock down walls and expand, and eventually that's where your church buildings came from. You met so often in this house, and you knocked out the walls so often, it became the church building, even though the people are always the church. Probably he's the pastor of the Colossian church, and then definitely what we do know about him is that he's definitely a fellow soldier in the gospel ministry. So we went from possible to probable to definite. There's one thing we know about Archippus for sure. Paul calls him a fellow soldier, probably a play on his name, in the fight of the ministry, and he needs to fulfill his ministry. Here, here's If you want a little quickie application... Listen, ministry is a spiritual battle, and you need fellow soldiers in the trenches with you if you're going to finish your ministry. And when you quit a ministry or drop out of a ministry, you're letting down your fellow soldiers. You're, letting, you're, a, you're impacting the team, and you're impacting the battle. Okay. Here's what we know about Archippus. Number two, Archippus needed encouragement in light of two things. Relational tension with Onesimus. Like, what are you talking about? Well, in their home, they had a slave, and this isn't American slavery. You can't think about slaves and whipping. These are rich people who need people to help uh, run their household, and there's poor people who say, I need a job. Basically, all of us that have a job are bond servants just like that. I need money, you have work, let's get this together. But then you, in a sense, own me. Back then, you literally own me. I sold you the right to me. So, Philemon, Aphia, and Archippus in their home, particularly Philemon, who was probably the dad, owned a slave by the name of Onesimus. That slave probably ran away and stole something from Philemon in the household when he left. Where do you go in those days to get lost? You went to a big city, and you went as far away as you possibly could. If you look on your map, you see more than likely he, he ran to Rome, where you could lose yourself very easily in Rome. But along the way, in God's sovereignty and His grace, he runs in, perhaps thrown into prison with Paul, the Apostle Paul. What does Paul do in prison? He does what godly people do. 
in bad circumstances. They surrender their life to Christ and they share Christ with others. He leads Onesimus to Christ. And what do you, and we'll learn from Onesimus, what do you do when you get right with Christ? You get right with others. And so what he needs to do is go back to where he messed up. And he's got to start all over, but this time he's got Christ in his life. And so Paul writes the letter to Philemon, puts it in the hand of Onesimus and says, go back to your master, make things right. I'm going to be the mediator. I'm going to help you with that. Okay, so that's what's going on. So poor Archippus, he's got issues at home. Can you relate? Okay, don't say anything verbal, but can you relate? You got issues at home? You got struggles? You got issues? So did Archippus. Does that sometimes get you distracted from ministry? Does that sometimes get you to isolate and pull away and retreat? we all been there. I've been there. Archippus had some relational tension. Problems in the home. Okay. Second thing he had going on is if he was the pastor at Colossae, the whole, the whole letter of Colossians is about false teachers. We've been hearing about those upstairs. So he's got problems at home. And there's problems in the church. And I have one word to say to you. Welcome to ministry. Welcome to ministry. You see what I'm saying? See, if you're going to wait to get involved in ministry until there's no problems at home, and and you're going to only minister in a church where there's no problem people, you're still looking. Okay? Because this is what Archippus, he needed encouragement. With that little bit of background, does it make sense what Paul says? Fulfill, tell Archippus, fulfill your ministry. Don't let that relational tension, don't let those church problems, those false teachers, all the the mess. Here's the point, and I quote the Apostle Paul. It's in your notes. Ministry brings conflict without and fears within. Can you relate? Can you relate? Well... If you can't, it might be because you haven't been involved in ministry. Because when you get involved in ministry, you can connect with this. But here's what Paul says later in 2 Corinthians. We do not lose heart. Now, if he says we do not lose heart, what does that imply? What does it imply to say we do not lose heart? Do what? Don't give up. It implies that he was tempted to give up, to lose heart. He wouldn't say we don't lose heart if that was never a temptation. Have you ever been tempted with losing heart in in your ministry here? Along the way? Problems within person? Well, here's what God says to us. See to it that you fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. So, here's the big idea. Let's see how he made his mark. He made his mark by fulfill your ministry. Here's how you make your mark. Fulfill your ministry. That's the second point. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Now, in this one little sentence, see to it that you fulfill your ministry. I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to hit four principles. Real easy. Every one of us has the opportunity for ministry. Every one of us has the responsibility of ministry. Every one of us has the accountability of ministry. And every one of us has the ability to do ministry. So out of this one sentence, we're just going to look at these four simple points. Let's, let's tackle it. First of all, number one, how am I going to fulfill my ministry? Every Christ follower has the opportunity of ministry. And what should we do with it? Seize it. Seize it. Okay. 
I'm going to wake you up today. So let's say that together. Seize it. Say it again. Seize it. What do you do with the opportunity of ministry? You grab hold of it. You seize it. Now, here's what you do. The ministry that you have received in the Lord. You say, yeah, but that's talking about archivist. Yeah, but every believer has the opportunity to have a ministry that is his or hers to carry out. What you've got to do is seize it. The Lord Jesus has given every one of us the potential for ministry. The moment you get saved, there is a ministry for you to fulfill in, that, in, in, in a local church, and there's gifts that he gives us. Listen to First Peter. I love this passage. First Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I like that he says that. Here's the point. As many people as there are in this room, there's that many giftings and potential for ministry. You know, there's a limited number of gifts, but once you mix that gift up with your unique experiences, your unique personality, your unique natural abilities, you put that all in the mix, and there is an unbelievable varied ability for ministry in this room that we haven't even begun to tap in. And then he says, whoever speaks, speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, serve by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever and amen. Now, if you're going to find satisfaction in life, you've got to seize this opportunity for ministry. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. You say, how do I do it? Well, there's a lot of ways you can find out what your gifts are. There's a lot of ways to find out what you're good at. But you know the best way to do it? Jump in where you're needed right now. Jump in where you're needed right now. And if you're asked to serve, serve. And you say, nobody's asked. Great, volunteer. You know, seize that opportunity because you have received ministry in the Lord. Now, once I have the opportunity and I seize it, what do I do? Number two, every Christ follower has the responsibility of ministry. Opportunity doesn't mean, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Opportunity means responsibility. What do you do with responsibility? Well, here's what we say in our house to one another, uh, jokingly, interestingly. Own it. Own it. We will, uh, you know, you teach kids these principles and then they teach you. Isn't that right? Yeah. Amber, you need to own that. Okay, 24 hours later, maybe two hours later. Dad, you need to own that. Okay, it's great, but it's a great response. It's it's a great principle for the Regus household, and it's a great response. It's a great principle for God's household. You've got a ministry. You've got a ministry responsibility. Own it. Step up to the plate and do it. Okay, so that's what he's saying. Why? Because he says this: see to it that you fulfill it. Some translations say, take heed that you may fulfill it or complete it. So here's what I want you to do. If you're going to own your responsibility, two things you got to do. See to it that you stay focused. Stay focused on it. He says, see to it. Take heed to it. Pay attention to it. Paul, this was, this was a common thing that when you hung around Paul, he said these things. At the end of 2 Timothy, he says these words. These are his, in fact, it's really his final words to Timothy is this very same phrase. Fulfill your ministry. You know, if Jesus was here, 
or the Apostle Paul, rather. That's what he'd say to us. He'd say, I've got one thing to say. I can say many things, but when it all comes down to it, here's my last thing to say to you. Fulfill your ministry. That's just another way of saying, finish faithful. That's another way of saying, finish what you start. That's another way of saying what Bill said, don't quit, don't give up, keep at it, stay focused. You ever been tempted to quit, give up, or retire before you fulfilled your ministry? Well, there's many things that tempt us to do that. We could list, there's probably as many reasons to quit as there are people in this room. But it really comes down to three things. The world, worldly thinking. The flesh, the lust of our own desires. And the devil, fooling us that we should ditch ministry to do something else. It really comes down to that. Worldly thinking that says, hey, all this other stuff that's going on is more important than what's going to last for eternity. The lust of the flesh that says, I'd just rather pursue my hobby. I'd rather pursue my own comfort. I'd rather just have my own pace of life. I'd rather focus on my family or whatever. My lawn, my job, my car, all good things. But I'm going to pursue that. That's where I'm really going to put my energy. Or the devil just deceiving us into thinking, you know what, you're okay. Ministry's not that big a priority to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we got to stay focused and not get off track on that. Second thing we want to do, see to it that you stay focused to the finish. One of the last things Jesus Christ said on the night before he went to the cross, he had an extended prayer time with God the Father. And one of the things he said in John 17 was this, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. That's kind of a motto for my life. That's part of my mission statement. Part of my personal mission statement is this, God, I want to finish the work that you've given me to do. And you don't finish that until, like Jesus, you take your last breath. There's another guy that finished the work that God gave him to do, and that was the Apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, when he tells Timothy, fulfill your ministry, you know what gave him the authority, the integrity, and the authenticity to do that? Because he was about to get his head chopped off. He was about to cross the finish line, and he could say to Timothy, I finished the work. I ran the race. I fought the fight. Now, Timothy, just because I'm going to be martyred doesn't mean you should quit. You need to finish to the end. Let's turn and look at those words because I think those are powerful words. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Powerful stuff. 2 Timothy... Chapter 4, and let's look at verse 7. Well, let's begin verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. These are serious words. Who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Upstairs, we're going to be talking about his appearing, his kingdom. You know what he's saying? Well, I'm jumping ahead to the next point. He's bringing accountability. 
into the picture. And he's saying, Timothy, here's my last charge to you. Here's my last words. As you read through there, he gives him five things to do. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. For the time is coming. He he talks about false teaching. He's saying, don't quit. And then he says, verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists. And then there's these powerful words that he just said to Archippus, fulfill your ministry. And then he says in verse 6, look at verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. Timothy, I've almost finished it. I've almost completed it. I can see it coming. He's talking about getting, according to tradition, his head cut off. You would never guess that. You know, I'd be saying, pray for me, Timothy, that it won't hurt. Pray that it's sharp and it'll happen quick. Better than that, get me out of here. Could you give me a cake with a file in it? Something. But he's talking, he sees this as a glorious end to a faithful servant. And so here's what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, he begins and ends with Christ as judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but all, also to all who have loved his appearing. And you know who's going to, listen, listen. You know who's going to love his appearing? People like Jesus, people like Paul, who finished what God had given them to do. Then you don't mind. You know, you ever have an inspection and you got everything clean? You look forward to it. Come on, come on, bring it. What happens when you don't have time to clean and it's inspection time? No, no, could we have another day? Could we have a little more time? You see, it's all about whether you've, you've, own the responsibility of your ministry. Well, that brings us to point number three. Every Christ follower has accountability in ministry. Embrace it. Embrace it. Now, this is where it gets exciting. Okay? Fulfill your ministry in the Lord. Opportunity, seize it. Responsibility, own it. But here's here's the kicker that you're going to miss if you just read over this quickly. Notice what it says in verse chapter Colossians 4, verse 17. And say to Archippus, see to it that you fulfill your... Now, remember, this is a letter being read in church. This is a letter being read in church. And you've got to kind of get into the grammar of this. Say to Archippus is in the plural. And it's being read to the church. Then it goes to the singular. Archippus, fulfill your ministry. Do you get the picture? You got three levels of accountability here. Oh, I'm sorry. What do you do with accountability? You embrace it. Embrace it. I don't know about you. My tendency is to want to do what with accountability? Avoid it. Withdraw from it. Paul's saying embrace this accountability. Embrace the accountability to finish your ministry. All right? Don't run from opportunity. Don't avoid responsibility. Embrace accountability. Okay, let's look at three levels. This is really cool. First of all, pursue it on a personal level. Pursue it on a personal level. Archippus is an individual, and he's addressed as an individual. Archippus, see to it that you fulfill your ministry, singular, that you have received in the Lord. No one can do this for for Archippus but him. And I got news for all of us. 
Nobody can fulfill my ministry but me. And nobody can fulfill your ministry but you. Think about that. Nobody can do what you can do in this church. See, our problem is, what do we always think about ministry? Somebody can do it better. Somebody else will step up. It'll get done. It doesn't need me. And what do we think when we pull out of ministry? We think, that's all right. They'll do just fine. And sure enough, it does. It continues on. Then the devil says, see, I told you they didn't need you. And the reality is this. You're Archippus. Well, no, you're not. You're you're Kristen. You're not Archippus. You know? You're Bill. You're, you're, you're not Susan. You are you, and only you can do it. So there's a personal accountability. The Lord gave a specific ministry to Archippus. You say, what was it? Here's the big mystery. What was he supposed to do? Guess what? We don't know. You know why? Because we aren't supposed to be doing what Archippus was doing. We're supposed to be doing what Terry is supposed to do. I'm supposed to be doing what Chris is supposed to do. And guess what? When everybody in this room, look around at this room, look around. When everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, then everything's going to get done. And we're all going to end finishing faithful. That's awesome stuff. That's awesome stuff. All right. Here's the next level, though. Just because you're supposed to do your ministry doesn't mean other people are not involved in helping you fulfill it. Personal accountability doesn't mean private, as we're going to find out. The second principle I want you to write down is this. Uh, the, third, the second level of accountability is provide it on a local level as a church. We are to provide it on a local level as a church. This first words in this verse, and say to Archippus, is, it's a command, and it's in the plural. Paul's giving an entire command to the church in the presence of Archippus, and here's the kicker, he's, someone had to read the letter. If he's the pastor, Archippus may be reading this letter. You know, and he's reading about the false teachers, and he's thinking to his mind, yeah, get them, Paul, get them. Get them, straighten out them guys, straighten them out. And then he's reading through and he's getting all encouraged. And, and, and yeah, our, our church needs this encouragement. He keeps reading this letter. And then he comes to verse 17, which, by the way, wasn't a verse. There weren't verses back then. And all of a sudden he says, and say to Archippus, fulfill your ministry. You talk about accountability. Reminded me as I thought through this, that, hey, it reminds me of my ordination. That's what ordinations are. They are personal addresses to individuals to do the ministry that God's called them to do in the presence of everyone. And I can still tell you specific things that Pastor Ed or Pastor Tyrone or Pastor Bruce, specific things that were said to me in that time in the presence of you all that maybe you've long since forgotten, but I haven't. Why? Because they were said in the presence of this body. And that's a greater accountability that I need to remember. Well... Same thing's going on here. And so we as a church, so right now you might be saying, you know what, this is kind of an uncomfortable lesson today. I'm kind of feeling some accountability today. And that's a good thing. Embrace it. Because we're supposed to be providing that as a local church for one another. We should be saying to one another, 
How you doing? Fulfill your ministry. Hey, Randy. Great Awana year. Fulfill your ministry. Go around. Francis, say, Robert, fulfill your ministry. That's what we should be doing. And then thirdly, the third principle, the third level is prepare for it on an eternal level from the Lord himself. Listen, you can't avoid it. You say, okay, I'm, I'm just not going to come for this series. I'll avoid, resp- I'll avoid accountability that way. Or I'll leave this church, sneak into a larger one, sit in the back, and I'll avoid it that way. But here's the kicker. The ministry is received in the Lord. He's the one that gave it. He's the one that ultimately we're going to have to stand before. In fact, we're going to stand before God, and here's what he's going to say in some manner or form. Chris, what'd you do with that opportunity? All those opportunities I gave you. Chris, what'd you do with the responsibilities I laid upon you? Chris, it's time for some accountability. No matter how well I've done, I think I'm going to wish that I had just a little more time. And I'm going to think, I could have done a little more for you. And I wish I had a little different priorities. And I wish I had spent a little more time doing those things that at the time I thought I had no time for, at the time that I had bought into the idea that other things are more important. But now that I stand before you with your nails crossed, scarred hands and feet and pierced side, and I see all of eternity in view, oh my, oh my. That's what we're headed for. And it's going to be a loving thing that's a fearful thing as well. So prepare for it in the Lord. Finally, every Christ follower has the ability for ministry. So fulfill it. Every Christ follower has the ability for ministry. See, some of you right now are hesitant about ministry, and I know why, because you're fearful on the inside. What if I mess up? I don't know that I can do it. I don't know. I, Chris, I, I can't speak like you do. Well, guess what? He probably doesn't want you to speak like I do. Oh, I, I, I don't know as much as you do. Be thankful. You have less accountability on the day of judgment. Well, I, 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 I can't uh, this and that and that. And, and you know what? It's all hot air. It's all excuses. Because the reality is, in the Lord, We all have the ability. That's the message of Colossians. He's supreme over all. He's sufficient for all. He's the fullness of God is in him, and we are filled in him. So now fulfill your ministry. The only reason you don't think you have the ability is, I think, one of two things. You've cut off, you you have a smaller Jesus than what he really is, or you're not plugged in to his sufficiency. If he's as sovereign and supreme as he is in reality, and if you're as plugged in to his sufficiency, then you're going to say, in Christ, I can do all things. And you're going to say, I'm not sufficient for this, but I know the one who is, and I'm going to dive into the deep end, and he's going to get me to the other side. So that's what I leave you with on fulfilling that responsibility. Ministry is not something we do for God. It's something that God does in and through us for others. See, we've got to get this idea out that, oh, I'm doing something for God. See, some of us have been active in ministry for a lot of years, and we're puffed up, and we're self-sufficient. And we go, look at all I do for God, and look at these lazy people around me. Well, you know what? 
Ministry is not doing something for God. It's God doing something in and through me who I'm not worthy, I'm not sufficient, and therefore I can't take the credit, and it's all going to him and out to others. Someone sent me, uh, you know, uh, this is a weird thing. I got an email this week. Evaluate this tweet, or what do you think of this tweet? And someone had tweeted this. And so what would you, you know, if someone asked you, what do you think of this tweet? God doesn't want to change you. He wants to use you. Interesting tweet. From a pastor, no less. This friend of mine, what do you think of that? Well, here's how I would qualify that. God does want to change you, but he doesn't want to just change you. He wants to change you to use you for his glory and the good of others. Verse 2, God wants to change you. Second chapter, chapter 3 and 4, he wants to use you for his glory and the good of others. Here's our response to his ability. Two things I want to leave you with. Number one, find your fulfillment in Christ alone. And then help others find their fulfillment in Christ alone. Find your fulfillment in Christ alone. And while you're doing that, because that's a lifelong process, help others find their fulfillment. And so here's what we're going to do in the weeks ahead. We're going to help make our marks for eternity. And we're going to follow in the footsteps of these who made their mark in ministry. I like this quote. I have it in your notes by John MacArthur talking about Archippus. Archippus is commanded to take heed to his ministry that he might fulfill it. The examples of Paul's co-workers in the preceding verses would be a powerful incentive for him to do that. I hope that these coming weeks are going to powerfully motivate you. To fulfill our ministry is what the Lord expects of all of us. There's the big idea. We're going to look at 12 names, 11 men and one woman. Not because she was maybe one woman, not because she's confused about her gender. It's because we're confused about whether uh, she actually was a man or a woman. Each one left their mark, one for bad, but the rest for good, but they all left their mark. Each one's got a story to tell. Even the guy who we only know his name. Probably the most powerful lesson out of all these lessons is going to be by the guy that the only thing we know is his name. Each one has a story to tell. Each one has a lesson to teach us in the weeks to come. We're going to learn how to fulfill our ministry and make our marks. So here's what you want to do. Look at this series. Look at your ministry. Seize the opportunity. Own the responsibility. Embrace the accountability. And at the end of this, we're going to fulfill our ministries by relying on the one who gives us the ability to do it. Amen? Think about that. What is the thing that God wants you to do? we got ministry launches here. we got small group launches. we got a WANA launch. We've got uh, world outreach coming up. we got, this, this is a high-octane time of ministry opportunity in our church. Be an archivist. Step up and see to it that you do what God has called you to do. Good stuff. Good stuff. We all have something to give. Let's pray. Father, we come and we just ask, Lord, that uh, your word would penetrate our hearts. And in spite of family problems, in spite of church problems, because anytime you gather people, there's problems, that we're not going to discourage. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. 
but we're going to own what you have given to us. We're going to embrace it because we know one day we're going to stand before you. I pray that each person here is sure of their salvation and in that certainty, they seize the opportunity for the gifting and the ministries that you've given them to do. May you encourage our hearts in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. 